Welcome back to another episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you don't know by now, my name is Christopher Brown, and I will be your host today. Since the launch of the podcast, I've been asked the same thing. Why do you do this podcast? And I give everyone the exact same answer. This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a conversation. Today, we find ourselves often becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of talking. So with that in mind, in 2019, I started this podcast to achieve one goal, get people to start talking again. With no notes, no questions, I sit down with subjects to learn about them, from them. Today's guest is no exception to that. Karen McPherson is the former MLA for Calgary McKay Nose Hill. And in today's episode, we sit down and talk to her about her upbringing in Northern Alberta, the moment she realized she was going to run for provincial politics, and that moment on October 4th, 2017, that changed her standing with some of her colleagues in the government benches. As a self-described political nerd, Karen and I also talk about the three things she wanted to tackle when she was first elected. Throughout the conversation, we talk, we laugh, but most importantly, we share moments of reflection. With that being said, enjoy Cross-Border Interviews featuring Karen McPherson. So, Karen, thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, I know you're busy, so we'll try and keep this as quick as possible for you. So, every time I have someone on the podcast, my first question is to them, where does your sense of duty come from? So, where does your sense of duty come from? (laughs) I don't know if if I would characterize it as a sense of duty. Um, I guess a sense of responsibility. I don't know. That might be splitting hairs. But I think... um, if you're going to participate in society, there is some measure that you have to pay back. And uh, I've always been really connected with that. It must have come from growing up in a small town. You can't, you can't really, I don't know, you can't really connect very much without participating. Were, were your uh, parents politically minded? Yeah, actually, my dad uh, served on town council in Sexsmith. Okay. And my parents helped out with a couple of campaigns out, up there with uh, Walter Piskowski. So he was a PC MLA and uh, minister for quite a while. Wow. Yeah. So did you did you get your itch from that from them showing you that being politically minded, being active in politics, being active in your community was something that you should carry on in your day to day life? <laughs> I don't remember it being quite that clear. Yeah. Um, politics was always something that we spoke about around the kitchen table. And uh, I was pretty politically nerdy even as a kid. I went to the Forum for Young Albertans. And even though we only had three channels, um, I remember really being excited about seeing what was happening in Parliament and just the turns of phrase and how witty people were. I remember... Um, it was, I can't remember who it was, but it was during the tuna scandal and someone, uh, someone screaming out tuna turner. <laughs> I just thought that was the most hilarious thing and I thought that would be a really cool job. So what, what, what's your earliest memory of being politically active? Was it with your father's campaign for 
town council or was it your first campaign when you ran for provincial uh, politics? Somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> so my dad didn't run until after I had left home. Okay. And I was not in town when he ran, so I never helped with his campaign. The first campaign that I helped with was um, uh, liberal candidate Marlene Lamontang, who ran against Stephen Harper in his writing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had been out of the country for a number of years, and I had my children quite young. I was 21 when I had my daughter. Um, so those things were impediments to being too politically involved at the time. It was more of a spectator sport rather than a participant. Um, but yeah, when I, when I heard that there was going to be another election, I came back to Canada in 2004. So whatever the next election was after that, and I can't remember the year. So either 2004 or 2006, one of the Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got involved, and I thought, well, if she's going to run against Stephen Harper, I'll go help her out. And did you find that uh, being away for so long and then coming back, things had changed in Alberta? Oh, and the country. Okay. So it was during that time that the Progressive Conservative Party had vanished uh, federally? Yes. Yeah. All that happened while I was away. And what I found was when I left Canada, I felt like there were people I could vote for. And when I came back, it was more a case of having to vote against, which uh, I was really disappointed in. And I find that's, that's what's happening with a lot of elections today. It's not We're not voting for someone, we're voting against someone, right? And we're being strategic about it. And do you think that's hurting our de- democratic process? Yeah, I think democracy... Um, is great compared to the alternative. Yes. Uh, but our democracy in Canada really hasn't kept pace with how society has changed, and that's reflected in how our older system is now, I think, really gained um, by the participants. They understand how it works, and they know what it takes to, uh, to win a campaign. So how do we change that, though? Well, because we need we need leadership that isn't um, really sorry invested in winning the next campaign. We need leadership that understands that the campaign that they're in and the mandate that they get is the one that they should be paying attention to. I think I think actually citizens would really respond to that kind of authenticity and to leadership that wasn't so careful. I find politics and politicians are pretty careful about policies that they put forward and how those policies are put forward. Um, I'd love to see someone who was willing to win a campaign and really didn't care about the next campaign after that, really cared about the mandate and whatever their constituency is, whether it's locally or provincially or federally. So going back to your life growing up, um, not growing up, but when you were thinking about, because you got back to Canada in 2014, 2004, sorry. 2004. And you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were out of the country in the United States? I was, first I was in the UK. Okay. uh, For a year and a half. My kids and I went over there and I worked for an electronics manufacturing company. And um, then in the US for five years. And I worked for a sister company. I took care of their collaboration infrastructure. I worked in IT. So how does an... uh, uh, person with IT background come back to Canada ten years later and decide I'm going to run for politics <laughs> <laughs> because to me that seems like a far it's a gap yeah there's a gap <laughs> yep <laughs> so I had actually studied uh, political science in university okay so it really wasn't that weird. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you had the background. You were you were a self-described political nerd, as you yes. just said. Yeah. So in uh, 2015, there was an election. Well, there was an election coming up in potentially later on that year, but they called it earlier. I thought it was 2016 it was supposed to occur. Yes, 2016. Yeah. You're correct. Yeah. And then uh, Jim Prentice dropped the budget, and right. then they said, we're going to go to a election. Yeah. So how did you get involved? Um kind of in a weird way. Seems like a lot of the stories that I'm hearing from uh, the that party's uh, candidates are from a weird way, so let's talk about it. What was your weird way? So in the fall of 2014, um, two things had happened that kind of jaded me a little bit. Um, one of them was I was working on a contract for an oil and gas company, and the price of oil started to fall. And my contract and my project were not tied to their bottom line. Uh, my contract was cancelled. And it wasn't the first time a contract had been cancelled. Um, and I just had had enough of working in oil and gas and being so expendable uh, when the price of oil went down. 2008 was really tough for me. Um, and it was for a lot of people yeah. as well. Um, so, yeah, I kind of had enough of oil and gas and feeling um, expendable. And um, then, oh, also my, my dog passed away. So oh. I wasn't in a great frame of mind. You know, it was just like, nothing's working. Nothing's <laughs> working, so I'm going to run for politics. Didn't quite go that way. Okay. <laughs> Bear with me. So uh, I think it was January or February. Um, I was looking around for some work, and I had um, joined or started following the Alberta Federation of Labor. And... Um, at that time, Prentice was talking about cutting healthcare and education by 9%. My kids were quite little when Ralph Klein had cut healthcare and education by 10%, and I saw the effects. I saw the effects in their classrooms, which got bigger, and it was difficult for my daughter because she had a mild learning disability, so it was really challenging for her to get the support that she needed. And we saw the effects in our neighborhood. There, um, and that was the time when Ralph Klein had cut funding for healthcare to the point where some healthcare facilities closed. And who that really impacted were people with mental health issues who had been institutionalized previously and then had essentially just been turned loose. There was no transition for them. And many people ended up on the street. Um, my kids and I, this was so long ago, uh, we went to Blockbuster to get Whoa. some movies. Hey, you can still go to the one in Oregon. <laughs> well, there is one. There's only one left in all of North America. <laughs> and we were driving away. Um, this used to be in Kensington, so it was on like 14th Street and maybe like 10th Avenue. Okay. Um, I think there's a gym there now. And we were driving down the alley and I saw someone digging through a dumpster and uh, he, he was digging food out of the dumpster to eat. And it still really upsets me that our province is so rich and we could allow anyone to live like that. And uh, I stopped, and I was a single mom at the time, and I had two little kids. Things were tight. They were tough. I worked in administration, so I didn't make a lot of money at that time. Um, or I was just getting into IT. And I stopped, and I gave him $20. And he walked away holding the $20 up in the air. Like, this man had no business being on his own. He needed support. Um, 
And and so when Prentice was talking about cutting healthcare and education, it was like, we haven't recovered from the last time, and it made me angry. And being angry got me involved. Do you think, uh, looking back at that moment, that was the spark that pushed you forward to say, you know what, you talked about it a little bit, but the spark that said, you know what, enough's enough. Like... The way that we've gone for 44 years of slashing and hoping that we'll recover is not the way forward. So when you decided to put your name forward, did you have that pers- that story in the back of your head the entire time? You said, you know what? I'm not fighting for myself. I'm fighting for the people who can't fight for themselves. And that, that definitely was a big part of it. Um, and... I didn't put my name forward. Someone asked me to. Okay. So by getting involved with the AFL, um, they had advertised for some door knockers for a campaign against uh, the cuts. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I want to be part of that. Let's do it. <laughs> and it was my manager from that who asked me out for coffee one weekend and said, hey, we think they're going to call the election early. Would you run for us uh, for the NDP? Because he was also an NDP organizer. Yeah. Um, and uh, I said, you know, I probably need the weekend to think about it. And I thought, yeah, why not? And my thought process was, you know, if I ever do really want to run, then I'll learn what to do. <laughs> Did you have a conversation with your kids at that time? Like mom's deciding this? Or was no. it more of a person yourself? You were talking to yourself? and They were both adults. So yeah. really. There was no effect that they might have. Not immediate. No. Okay. Yeah. But they were probably happy that you did put your name forward. Right? Oh, they were both great. My son helped me out with uh, my campaign a bit. And my daughter, my daughter was there the night that we won, which was pretty <laughs> exciting. Yeah. So we'll talk about the campaign a little bit here. Uh, what was that like? Being a, sort of a political campaign neophyte, you've ran, you've helped on one campaign and now you're... Uh, named candidate, your name's on the election sign, your name's on the ballot. What was that feeling like? Um, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. And the first two weeks, I actually worked on Stephanie McLean's campaign as a like a door knocker. Yeah. Um, and then there was the uh, debate, and Rachel did so well. Yeah. And I started looking at my numbers after that, and I, it looked like I could actually win in my riding. I was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> Maybe I should go back to the ride. <laughs> So I dumped Stephanie, um, and I had connected with uh, Bob Hawksworth. So he was previously the MLA in that area um, and had been on city council here in Calgary. And we just really clicked. And he was amazing. He helped me out. Like, every night he was out door knocking with me for a couple of hours. So what was the atmosphere like on the door? Was it, hey, we saw Rachel in debate. We think you're going to win. We'll vote for you. I don't Or or was it the, uh, because when I talk to some people, it's the, we like you. We're going to vote for you, but just don't put a sign up because we don't want other people to know we're voting for you. I did not have that. Okay. Um, I think mostly what I encountered were uh, people that were interested in what we had to say. And they were open, which I hadn't really expected prior to that. Um, yeah. Because so. you were going up against a three-term MLA at the time, right? Yeah. I forget. Neil, Neil Brown. Neil Brown. Yeah. So... 
you're thinking this this is the juggernaut that I'm going to potentially have to try and take down, but my numbers are saying good things. Yeah, my numbers were saying good things, but my thought process was it wasn't him that I was really running against so much as um, Kathy McDonald, who was the Wild Rose candidate, okay. who had run previously, so she had name recognition as well. I really, I, between the two of them, I expected to come third. Okay, so you sort of knew Neil wasn't really a, he was a factor, but he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't your biggest competition. No, I really thought that Kathy McDonald was. So, night of election night, May 5th, <laughs> you're sitting around with your family, I'm assuming, at the downtown party? Yeah, my, my daughter and I were down at the uh, opera center okay. over in the belt line, and so the candidates were in the back room, and they've got the big monitors, and the news coverage is coming up, and the first two uh, times that my name, or my horrible picture came across, <laughs> um, I was in third place, and I was like, my thought process was, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. It was a good experience. I hope, you know, some of my colleagues are going to win. And then I was in second. And then uh, my face came up and a big green check mark came aside. And I'm like, holy cow. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe this happened. So, you can't believe this happened because you've... It, during that whole campaign, are you thinking, okay, I'm going to come third because of those two other people, or I'm, I'm I'm just the new person on the block? I don't have the name recognition. So. I think all of that stuff, honestly. So, yeah, and and I mean, like E day, I was out knocking on doors till like seven thirty. People were getting mad at me, like, leave me alone. I already voted. <laughs> yeah. And but it just felt kind of frantic, like I gotta get everybody out. Gotta make sure I get those <laughs> <Exactly>. votes. <laughs> so. <laughs> You see the green check mark. Yeah. Holy crap, I'm yeah. now an elected official. Yeah. Does your daughter turn to you and pinch you and say, Mom, it's real and you've got to get to work? <laughs> no, no, she was pretty happy for me. And then I remember standing up in the green room because there were so many of us in there and so many of us had won. <laughs> and I did the over thing. You're an MLA and you're an MLA and you're an MLA. <laughs> kind of like the day that I got married, right? It was like, oh, I don't know if I've done the right thing. <laughs> this is a big deal. Like, this is a really big deal. And I'm older than most of the people that I got elected with, so I think maybe the gravity of the situation might have hit me a little harder than other people. Because that's what I'm going to say, because A, the NDP at that time weren't expected to form government. Oh. They weren't expected to win more than about 10 seats. They win a majority. <laughs> You're now in that government. So you get to uh, Edmonton. I was going to say Ottawa, but you get to Edmonton your first day walking onto that legislature, into that legislature building as right. an MLA elect. That The gravity of that just probably went from A to B. Exactly. Yeah. So take me through that process of walking on that floor, getting sworn in. Did you, oh. did you think to yourself, you know what? I need to put my pride aside. I, I, I'm here. I now need to worry about that man who was in that dumpster looking for food. Um, or did it take a little bit longer? Because that energy of right. getting elected and being sworn in, like that, that put me on a high. It is a big, it is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so something that I didn't realize until probably in a year after I had been elected was how easy it is for you to get your head stuffed up your own butt. And 
um, I'm really grateful for people like Bob Hawksworth who asked me, what do you want to accomplish as an MLA early after I got elected? Like those, those touch points, I think are really, really important for anyone that's going to be elected. Things that keep you grounded because when you get to Edmonton and you're in the legislature, it's a beautiful building. There's lots of history and it's a whole different ecosystem from anywhere else. And it's easy to get disconnected from things that are really important. Especially because uh, from a Calgary MLA's perspective, you're not in Calgary all the time. The legislature sits and you're up there for four or five weeks at a time. You get back here once every two, three weeks for a weekend. <gasps> it's that. No, every... I. You tried to come back every weekend? There was only one weekend that I stayed up while I was in office, and it was because my car broke down. Okay. Um, Yeah, no, I came, I was here every Friday for constituency day um, and for local events. Uh, The riding that I was in had a large Chinese community, so this time of year I was at dozens of Lunar Lunar New Year celebrations, and those can go on for eight weeks. Um, And uh, yeah, just like the rhythm of the community, even though you're in the legislature, I think it's really, really important to stay connected. So yeah, there was only one week and I never came back. So when did you first start noticing the toxic atmosphere? Was it question period? Because that's what most people say is that question period just destroys anyone's ability to even be happy about being elected again. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, interacting. Um, I was the chair of a committee, uh, interacting with council um, to do with the committee. That was eye-opening. Yeah, there's lots of things. And again, they're the things that aren't really related to why you're there. there. So what was the main reason... What was the main goal that you wanted to accomplish in your time in office? So there were three things that are important to me. They're still important to me. Um, Women and girls can walk alone and not be afraid. And that's a really big conversation. And that has to do with feminism and it has to do with um, safety and, uh, you know, equality. All of those things, they're still really important to me. Um, That uh, Alberta is a technology innovator and leader in the world. I came from an IT background. Technology, I think, is the way forward. Uh, That doesn't mean that we have to disregard things that we already rely on economically. Um, But there's a lot of opportunity there. And I actually um, was the co-sponsor of the Alberta Investor Tax Credit legislation uh, because I was committed to that. Um, And that... Alberta is an energy leader, and oil and gas will always be a backbone of our economy, and energy can be defined in much bigger ways than just oil and gas. Yeah. So I want to I want to work through those three items. We'll start with the first one: women and uh, uh, women and girls feeling safe in their communities. Uh, how did you help? to ensure that women and females feel safe in their communities because um, I, we did a week-long episode with uh, women across Alberta and the one thing I hear is from the younger generations that I spoke to to walk down the streets in Calgary you don't do it by yourself yeah it, it, it's shocking to me that we live in a first world country and people are afraid to walk down the streets. So how did you, as an elected official, help? Make a difference? Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a few things that I'm actually really proud of them. 
So in 2016, um, the Justice Minister, Kathleen Ganley, well, I was still with the NDP, she brought forward, but it wouldn't have mattered what team I was on, I still would have done the same thing. Um, she brought forward Bill 2, which was legislation to uh, remove the time limit for civil suits to come forward in cases of domestic violence and sexual assault and sexual harassment misconduct. Um, and so I shared my own experience as a young person from the age of five until 12 that um, I had been molested by a, a family friend and uh, you know what a difference it makes to have the time to be able to process something like that and to be able to heal enough to be able to come forward and how important that legislation was in that regard. Um. I didn't know that about you. Uh, were you vocal about that? Were you open about that when Bill 2 was on the table? I stood in the legislature and you, you I can send you the link. Did you, did you hear feedback from that where other survivors would come forward and say, thank you for being the voice that I couldn't be at that time? That was exactly it. I wanted people in Alberta, especially women, to know that their experience wasn't um, they weren't alone in their experience. And um, I, I, I don't want to just generalize because there are men that go through the same yeah, thing as yeah. well. Um, I do want to say that uh, that you probably heard a gambit of uh, comments and stories. Does that weigh on you? No. I'm, I'm proud that I was able to be able to make a difference. Um, some of my MLA colleagues came forward to me privately, uh, political staff, um, people in the community, my, my mom. It was... Uh, Teared up. Why are you making me cry so much? I don't um, know. <laughs> I feel like. I... But it was it was really gratifying. Um, it took a lot of practice for me to be able to get through my speech and not break down in, in tears. Obviously, I'm a touchy feely kind of person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was really important. And when I had said what I needed to say in the legislature, like people from the opposition even got up and applauded me and. It was, it was gratifying. Do you think we could have done more? Well, there's always more that we can do. Yeah. Um, so, but how? Um, what, what, like, what can... Bills and policy can be written till the day we die. Right. But until we change the atmosphere and the attitude towards people... We aren't going to see a major change, I find. Do you? So it's a cultural issue. There it's you. definitely a cultural issue. Uh, something that I became aware of while I worked in IT, I was a business analyst and a project manager, and projects rely a lot on how you manage change. Um, so when I was done in office, I actually got certified as a change management specialist. Um, and that's what we need in our province and in our society is purposeful change management of these attitudes. Okay. So we'll talk about the IT part now. Okay. The uh, bill you co-sponsored. Yeah. Why did you feel like that was important? Uh, so BC has had an investor tax credit for quite some time. I think at this point it's probably between 15 and 20 years that they've yep. had it. Um, and they're doing really well with it. And for every dollar that's invested into the program by the government, the return is about $2. 
I would be happy with an investment like that. I think most people would if they could double their money. Yes. <laughs> I think anyone who can probably do math. Worth it. Yeah, yeah, probably worthwhile. Um, and so conversations with people in the tech community, uh, especially Trent Johnson, um, they, you know, they brought the information forward. They've been lobbying for this kind of a program for quite a while. And so it was pretty easy for me to put two and two together and was like, yeah, no, I could totally get behind this. So I took every opportunity I could to um, advocate for that kind of legislation and also took the opportunity in the legislature when I had uh, member statements to talk about things like Rainforest Alberta and um, an investor tax credit and Evolve You, all of these things that are happening in the community. Why do you think it took so long for us to adopt a similar approach or an approach like that? I think economically, there's a lot of reticence in Alberta to uh, invest money in things that aren't as well known as oil and gases. And so... um, uh, it's it's a matter of education and then a matter of incentivizing that, you know, de-risking it um, because there is a perception of a lot of risk. And then the last area that you said you wanted to bring forward while you're in your time as an office is uh, oil and gas. Uh, you did work for, like you said, a few oil and gas companies across Alberta and around the world. Yeah. So... Um, Do you think that in your time, in the four years that you were elected, that the government that you were with and then you were opposed to uh, did enough to advance oil and gas in Alberta? Yeah, I think probably at the beginning there was a lack of knowledge about the industry. Um, Because when you think NDP, you don't traditionally think... Energy. Oil and gas. Right. Yeah. You think yeah. social issues. Yeah, yeah. But you got to pay for those somehow. Yes. <laughs> um, like I said, I think there was probably a lack of deep understanding about the oil and gas industry and about uh, its impact on the economy. Um, how far those tentacles go, and even when we have a diversified economy, how much it relies on oil and gas uh, being healthy and robust. So you see what's happening right now with the oil and gas industry, with the current government that's uh, sort of fostering them and giving them tax breaks. Let's call it what it is. They are giving tax breaks to them. Um, Do you think that's too far? So I don't believe that short of really draconian um, regulation or legislation or the opposite where it's like, I don't know, a a country that doesn't have any regulation, um, that governments really have a whole bunch of influence. So we've seen an uptick in drilling right now, and the present government is pretty happy to take credit for that. But really what it comes down to is a, a, a rosy looking futures in oil that has raise the confidence of companies that want to draw. It's not because of a a discrete policy of the UCP. They really had very little influence on it. Similarly, I would say that the NDP didn't have a great deal of influence about what was happening either. And, you know, they made a couple of moves that were probably helpful and a couple of moves that weren't helpful. A royalty review really wasn't necessary. The net result was nothing really changed. Exactly. I was going to say, literally nothing changed. And it introduced um, a level of concern that would have uh, discouraged some investment, like, ooh, what's going to happen? Um, but similarly, you know, the, the curtailment, not a bad idea. And we're seeing now that the UCP is easing curtailment that the, the local price for oil has gone down. Do you think, though, that 
as much as Alberta tries to change uh, how the oil and gas industry works in this province, whether it be uh, more drilling or more shipment, at the end of the day, OPEC still has a lot to say with what our oil prices do. Well, for sure. We, so we can't, like, we as can't much as we want to say we can control what's going to happen, we really can't. The, the most important um, uh, issue that's going to introduce more stability in the price that we're getting in Canada, in Alberta, is the pipeline. Like, once that pipeline's in place, then that will ease up on a lot of the constraints that we're seeing right now. But let's put our future hats on right now. I don't see a time in the next five years where that thing's going to be operational, do you? I hope so. Yeah, I'm feeling optimistic about it. Um, I mean, it's under construction, you know, it hasn't been totally uh, dead. Things are happening. They're hiring people for the project. So I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. Why why not? Exactly. You got to be optimistic in today's age, but I just... Court battle after court battle after court yeah. battle, something's got to give, right? So yeah. I just, I hope for the best, but I'm trying to be pessimistic and realistic <laughs> at the same time. But anyway, so we'll move into a subject that I really want to talk about, but we'll talk about it for a few minutes. 2017. Yes. In October, if I'm not mistaken. October 4th. October 4th. At about 8.30 a.m. Oh, you know the time. Okay. You announced to the world that... You are leaving the NDP caucus and sitting as an independent. Yeah. What What was the decision behind that? Because I can imagine that there was probably a, a big, if you're like me, you sit down, you write a big pro and con list on both sides and you have to make that decision for yourself. So what was that decision for you? Um, it came from a couple of places. Uh, one of them was definitely my constituents. So I knocked on doors the whole time I was in office. Um, and what I kept hearing were people that had been unemployed for a long time, like years. And they didn't know what the government was doing for them. And I couldn't see what the government was doing for them. And I couldn't get any answers about that. Um, that was that was a big concern. Uh, another concern was fiscally. Oh, okay, I get that we need to deliver services. We have a big deficit, and we don't have a projection for when we're going to start reducing the deficit and paying debt. Uh, that was a concern for me. Yeah. Like I'm I'm happy to do what we need to do, and we also need to be pragmatic about it. But we need a path back exactly. to balance. Exactly. Yeah. Like no matter who you are. Like, exactly. And the, you just gotta. The, the big The biggest thing that I heard, and we'll get back here in a few seconds, is debts are like buying a house. You buy a house, you go into debt. But at the end of the day, you pay back that debt. You got a house. At a certain date. Yeah, exactly. There's a date. Yeah. There were just, for me, and I see where you're coming from, there was no date. No, there was no projection. And again, my questions went unanswered. And so I found that really concerning. Um, So there were two other things. And, you know, there's more, but I'm not going to go into yeah. gory details. Um, another one was playgrounds. So there were two new schools in my riding that had opened in 2015, 2016. Um, and they didn't have playgrounds. And then the government announced that they were going to pay for playgrounds. But these two schools had been announced before their cutoff date. 
And trying to manage that messaging in my writing was extremely challenging. And I was very disappointed because um, with older schools in the community having their playgrounds taken out because of safety concerns, there were upwards of 2,000 children in my riding without a playground at school. That's ridiculous. And comparatively speaking, I'm not saying that this is no small amount, but, you know, for around three or four hundred thousand dollars, they could have taken care of all of that. And nobody was interested. And I got laughed off a couple times when I tried to bring it forward. Um, and I, I just felt defeated. I felt really defeated in trying to advocate for uh, my constituency. And such a small thing. And for kids. Yeah. Like, that's the future. Exactly. This is, this is a big part of kid development. And the thing was... The NDP were sort of, hey, we got to worry about our future. And yet, when you bring forward your issues, they're not being heard. Yeah. And your third issue, like you said. Well, it was the atmosphere within the within the caucus. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of what Robin Luff had spoken about when she left or was removed. Yes. Um, I'm able to validate what she had to say. There were... <sighs> There were instances that uh, I personally experienced that were bullying. I was um, going to say, did you f- ever feel bullied in that? Yes. yes. So you sit as an independent yes. for two weeks. So if so we go just, back to October 4th, okay, October uh, 4th, 8.30 in the morning, I did reach out to uh, the WIP to let the WIP's office know. Um, so that's Brian Mason. No. No. Estefania. Estefania, yeah. Okay. Um, I wasn't able to connect with her, uh, and I tried to reach out to one other person too, but I can't recall who it was at the, at the Just moment. to let them know this was happening? Yeah. So they weren't yeah. blindsided? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I wasn't able to get in touch with anyone. Okay. Um, and then I released my statement on social media, and I stood in my office and I shook for about 20 minutes because I was really terrified. I didn't know what would happen to me. I didn't know if the NDP would be uh, vicious. It was a thought. Um, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know what would would happen going forward. So it was one of the most scary things that I've ever done. So that day, you you posted on social media. I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm assuming you get attacked from all sides. Not attacked. Really? Yeah. Shocking. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, there were definitely people in the riding that were very disappointed. As there were people when I got elected that told me I voted NDP my whole life and I didn't think I'd ever see someone I voted for get into office. Yeah. Similarly, they were very disappointed when I when I left the NDP. Yeah. Yes. But then you probably heard on the flip side. Yes, I had people from the Wild Rose reach out to me. I think what you did was really brave. Good for you. I was quite surprised. I was like, really? Do you know who I am? <laughs> exactly. Still pretty loved of you. <laughs> Um, and uh, I, honestly, like constituents by and large were very supportive. I was going to say when because uh, at October fourth was that when you were up in Edmonton at the time? Still, no, you no. were down in Calgary. Yeah, we didn't sit again until Halloween. Okay. Yeah. So you do that. I'm assuming your constituents, like you said, there are some who are saying, "Oh, we're upset with you because yeah. we're diehard yeah. NDPers," but. Is are there people saying oh, we're glad that you're you're willing to stand up for who you are, right? We yeah. don't want we don't want someone in office who's just going to be a pushpin. Yeah, we want someone who's actually going to represent our community. Yeah, I heard that a lot. Did you? Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, so that was gratifying. So, 
you get back into the you uh, actually don't get it back in because if I'm not mistaken, when does the when did the conversations with the Alberta Party begin? Um, it didn't take me very long to figure out that sitting as an independent really wasn't advantageous for me. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand procedure very well. And what I found when I was with the government uh, was that we didn't get a lot of instruction on procedure. So they I just told you, here you go. Pretty much. Okay. I felt I felt like a bum in a seat and I had to vote the way that I had to vote. And I really didn't have any say in that. That was super frustrating. And I get the um, reasoning behind whipping the vote and, you know, uh, a cohesive caucus. I understand. Yeah. Um, I firmly believe that has to be balanced with feedback from um, uh, elected people and uh, reciprocity of respect in the relationship. So just as I felt grateful for having been elected, I would hope whoever I was in caucus with would feel grateful to have someone like me in their caucus and similarly me about them. Yep. Um, that wasn't my experience. Uh, sitting as an independent, it was like, I don't I'm doing so it was you know some feelers out and some conversations about where might I fit I did not approach the UCP they did not approach me I think that was really clear between us there was not a fit there um really (laughs) (laughs) um not that I don't think that there's good people in their caucus because I do like I you know some of the ones I'd served with before and some that are serving right now um I think there's good people I think there's always good people in uh the legislature because people care about their about their province and about what's happening. And I think that's, that goes back to the comments that you were talking about, how uh, politics today is so toxic, right? Yeah. Because we don't, and this is where this podcast comes into play, and I say this all the time, but I like saying it. We like to just attack people on social media. Here's the yeah. 140, 280 characters, and we're going to attack you. We don't care who the person is behind you, the person behind that Twitter handle. Right. We're just going to attack. And that's where this is from. I just want to start a conversation with people because there's good people on the right side, the left side, the center side, everywhere, right? People, are not, people are not even on the spectrum, right? Right, right. So, And the majority of people, I will say this, are not on the spectrum. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For people who are politically engaged, we I think we look through this Swiss cheese filter that's like, oh, everybody's really, you know, engaged in politics. Exactly. People are not engaged in politics. Mm-hmm. They're engaged in their lives. Exactly. And look at the voting turnout, right? Oh, we had 55% turnout. Great. What about that 45%? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but... That's a lot of people. If, if our measure, measure of engagement of winning an election is 55%, then we've done something wrong. Australia does better. Yeah. Australia, it's mandatory. And I think it should be mandatory to vote because, honestly, don't complain if you don't vote. But anyway, no, that's here nor here there. <laughs> so we'll get back to uh, joining the Alberta Party. Right. So... <clears throat> You meet with Greg, I'm assuming, for the first time. Yeah. That um, meeting goes amazing, I'm assuming, because well, it, it, would, good. it yep. wouldn't have gone good if it, <laughs> you would be in the party if it didn't. Yeah. So that decision that you ultimately decided to join the Alberta Party, do you remember that day? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was in later October. Yeah. Um, had met with the board, had met with um, some other stakeholders in the party, and I decided that there was a fit there for me. Yeah. So that first day, sitting on the opposite side, looking at your former colleagues and sitting beside Greg, what was that like? Because I can just imagine how daunting just to look your fellow opposition members or your fellow caucus members, former caucus members in the eye after doing what you've just done. 
So one thing I will say for myself is I always looked them in the eye. I had nothing to be ashamed of. Good for um, I didn't feel embarrassed. I did what I thought was the right thing to do. I cannot say that all of my former colleagues would look me in the eye. Uh, there were a number that just didn't speak to me anymore, and then there were some that did, and uh, we maintained our friendships, and I'm really grateful for those. That's awesome. Um, so, you, you said your lack of knowledge about the political legislative process. Right. Were you able to gain that in the Alberta party? I had to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There was only he and me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a. Uh, it, was a, a, it wasn't the same kind of learning curve as becoming an MLA, um, but it was a pretty steep learning curve again, and uh, I made some mistakes along the way. <laughs> Who doesn't, though, yeah. right? <laughs> Everyone makes mistakes yeah. along the way. So you, you're with the Alberta Party now. You're going through the last year because in October 2017, uh, you're in the party, they sit for a few weeks, and then they go for recess, the Christmas recess, and then for a full year, 2018, you're... Basically, a full year, first full year as a sitting Alberta Party MLA. Yeah. It goes from a party of one to a party of two. And then three. Yes. But for that brief time where it was just the two of you, oh, yeah. you must have had to cross the whole province trying to meet with voters, meeting with constituents associations because, hey, you had 54 so, members who could do that. Now you have two right, who yeah. have to worry about a whole province. We had an AGM, so they came to us, which was way better. <laughs> I guess so. I didn't even think about that. AGMs are the best way to get people to come to you. So that first AGM, you're the new kid on the block. It was pretty exciting. I gave a speech and um, it was very well received and there were, you know, it was the biggest AGM the Alberta Party had ever had, so we were really building momentum and it was exciting. It was really exciting. And then let's talk about your constituent life, though. Mm-hmm. So you've gone from the NDP to mm-hmm. the Alberta Party. Mm-hmm. What do your constituents think of that? They're okay with it. They were okay? Yeah, I did not get any negative feedback about that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, meh. Some people, well, I wish you would have joined the UCP. No, you don't know me. Yeah. <laughs> this is not where I <laughs> do belong. Do you know who I am? Do you know what party I started with? <laughs> so you didn't get any negative feedback from that? No. No. You, like, you say you're shocked about that, but at the end of the day really like well on reflection who i know albertans to be is socially quite moderate uh, to progressive and fiscally pragmatic i wouldn't actually say that people are fiscally conservative i think that fits in with a, a theme of austerity and i don't find albertans to be um generally in favor of austerity because it hurts people i feel that albertans are pragmatic in the sense of a farmer would be pragmatic. Yes. We only have so much to do so much with. Um, we can leverage this, um, but there are some some hard limits to, to where those economic boundaries you, are. Do you find that that's where the Alberta Party fits in? Yeah. It's uh, socially progressive and a little bit more fiscally conservative, responsible with money? I wouldn't say responsible so much as pragmatic. Pragmatic, right. okay. So I don't think the NDP was ever irresponsible economically. I think some of the decisions didn't make a lot of sense, and I found it really concerning that there was no plan in the further years. Um, but it wouldn't have called them irresponsible. It wasn't 
like, oh, let's buy a new fleet of planes, you know, like, or yachts or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. there wasn't that level of irresponsibility to it. Um, but there seemed to be a lack of pragmatism about it as well. In 2018, the Alberta Party goes through a little bit of a shakeup. Mm-hmm. The leader that you've served under for almost a year decides to step down. Mm-hmm. Were you prepared for that? Because most people assume that he was going to be leading the Alberta Party into the next general election, but he decided to step down to serve time with his family, which is completely understandable. Right. Did you, did they, did he have a conversation with uh, yourself? Because it was just you at the time, because Rick right. hadn't joined the party until... Right, until the leadership race. Yes. Yeah. Yep, yep. We uh, we definitely talked about it and what it might look look like going forward. And, you know, I did... You understood where he was coming from? Yeah, for sure. And I did tell him, you know, like, if you change your mind and you decide to throw your hat in the ring, let me know and I'll think about supporting you. Cause... <laughs> You'll see who's all running. Yeah. 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 So that leadership race, uh, you gain a new... MLA, yes. Rick Frazier. Yeah. Uh, you have, I, I don't know how to pronounce her name correctly, Carol Levis. Levis. I was going to say Lewis, but Carol Le- uh, Levis. And the eventual winner, Stephen Mandel. Yeah. Stephen Mandel wins the uh, election. You announced if, probably about a few months later that you were going to be stepping down and you weren't going to be running for re-election. So that was just before... Uh, that was in, about, it was in 2019. Yeah, yeah, about January. Did the leadership have anything to do with that decision or no? Was it just more for yourself? Yeah, my uh, my mom uh, is quite elderly and uh, she's had lung cancer for a while now um, and has some other health issues that she's dealing with. So it's just easier you, to... You were looking after your family. Yeah, it's easier to be in one city than two and try and address family issues. I can imagine. Yeah. So is your mom still up in Grand Prairie? She's in Calgary. Oh, she is. Yeah, okay. my, my okay. parents had lived in Calgary for quite a while. My dad passed away while I was in office. Okay. Sorry to hear that. Um, looking back on your time in office, is there anything you would have changed? I would have um, liked to have been more confident about what my... Capabilities and responsibilities as an MLA were while I was still with the NDP. I didn't know a lot. A lot of us didn't know a lot. And there really wasn't anyone to be mentored by because they were all busy in cabinet, the people that had served before. Um, So uh, I think I might have sought out some wise counsel earlier. Would you have done more policy and uh, policy-wise? Introduce more legislation? I think I did a really good job. Do you? Yes. That's good. That's what I like to hear. See? At the end of the day, that's what I like to hear. So I had a private member motion passed to encourage or urge the government to establish a concussion awareness and prevention day. Um, They never did it, but... (laughs) We still, there. we still need it. And it did pass unanimously, and that was after I left the NDP. So, honestly, I can feel very proud of that. Yeah. Um, I made a difference with the uh, patients, Patient Protection Act. So, I had introduced an amendment to say, no, a healthcare professional should never get their license back um, once they've been found responsible for sexually assaulting, harassing, or misconducting against a patient. That's just not right. Yeah. And so, originally... Originally, my amendment was voted down, um, and the government brought it back a couple of days later. As their own. Yes. Well, but I had done some work behind the scenes, and um, 
um, I also got an amendment passed that ensures that anybody that's sitting on one of those tribunals um, is uh, aware or has had training in trauma-informed care so that they understand that somebody who has been sexually assaulted or harassed might not react the way that they're expecting them to um, and be able to identify more closely with somebody that's bringing something forward. And I also introduced the amendment that um, put the two-year limit on the curtailment, uh, the turn off the taps bill. Yep. Um, no, I did some I did some kick-ass stuff. I'm pretty proud of it. Are you? <laughs> yep. yep. Um, is there anything that you wish you would have pushed a little bit harder on? Banning plastic bags. Really? Yes. So, uh, I... Um, I did introduce a bill to help people get back to work, Yeah. but I had kind of won that lottery while I was still with the NDP, and I had floated that idea, and it was shot down, um, and I wish I had pushed harder for it, because... So those are the five-cent plastic bags that you get yep. at the grocery store? You, yeah. You, you want to go to uh, those reusable ones? And whatever floats somebody's boat, as long as we're not um, continuing to... Like, I keep thinking that vortex of plastic in the ocean is like, no, we don't need to contribute anymore to that. Yeah. Um, and there are other ways that are more sustainable that we can take our groceries home. It's true. Because I know that every time that we leave the house, my husband piles all the reusable bags <laughs> together, even if we're going out for like a dollar store run, it's all the reusable bags just in case. I'm like, okay. I have a switching system, so I have some in the house and some in the car. <laughs> and so as they come in the house, I bring them back to the car and I make sure I just have a supply in both places. <laughs> oh, there you go. I, I wish I could do that. Um, when you announced that you were stepping down, did you regret that decision or did you do it because I know you said your mother was sick and yeah. is sick um, did you ever think you know what I should have just ran you know what I could have been able to balance that or are you happy with that decision I'm sure I had a couple of moments like that where it's like oh I should have done that um, I've always like while I was in office I was super driven I didn't know I could work as hard as I worked and I've worked hard I was a single parent and raised yeah. two kids in two different countries um, but I worked really really hard while I was in MLA and so there was a part of me was like no you still gotta do this but the wiser part of me is um quieter and it tells me that I need to slow down a little bit and not to say I would never run again but I'm still a bit tired from serving well, that's, for four that, years. That was, the, that was the last question I was going to ask but you just answered it but do you miss it? I do miss a lot of it yeah. And like then what? The, uh, well I found you know during the end of my term being in the legislature I actually really enjoyed that drafting the questions we had really good staff to help with that um, going after issues really getting to dive into issues in a way I hadn't been able to before uh, like fertility clinics it was like that was I actually had the opposite problem I got pregnant really easily but um, <laughs> there are lots of families that don't have that and yeah. they need the support of fertility clinics and the, the clinic that had closed in the Royal Alex uh, you know, really caused a lot of disruption for a lot of families. So really diving into those issues, um, I just found that fascinating. It was really interesting. So you, you mentioned it beforehand, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just to make sure I get it on record. Does politics have a place in Karen's 
life in the future? I know you said you're tired now, but do you ever look at it and say, I could get back into it some other day, maybe next election, two elections <laughs> from now? I I have learned enough to never say never. <laughs> yes. But no, I'm not even just saying provincial politics. Right. It's even yep. municipal or federal, or federal. right? Yeah. Um, I'm helping out with a, a, a municipal campaign right now. Okay. Um, I was on the board for the Alberta Party for a short time. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm not going to say never again. Or maybe one day I will just get annoyed with it all and say never. <laughs> um, looking at your future post-political life, what's it been like? Um, so the last few months, I've just taken some time um to really address my own needs. What I found while I was in office, uh, what I shared with you before about my childhood, uh, my brain is different than it would have been if I hadn't gone through that trauma. And so politics really triggered a lot of uh, reactions from me that were based in my experience in trauma. So it, it let me know that I still have more healing to do. Um, and that's what I've been focusing on is, okay, how do I, how do I normalize my experience of the world rather than feeling like um, things are an emergency yeah. when, they're, when they're not? And I know cognitively they're not, but emotionally it's like, no, it really feels like an emergency. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work in that area. And um, like I said, I went back to school for a few months and got a change management certificate. So what does that mean? What is change management? Explain that to someone like me who does not right. know what that means. Right. Okay. So you have a project and technically it can be a really good project and you, you're you delivering a new software package for a process. Okay. And technically everything works exactly how it should work. The thing that is often missing is the people aspect of it. So that process and that software is changing the way that somebody does their job. And if we don't take those people into account, that can really mess up the success of a project. So technically quite successful, but adoption wise, no, they're still doing it with whatever they were using before it was Excel or whatever, because I've done it this way for so long. So it's that process of socializing the message and getting people's input, a lot like being an MLA, doing <laughs> consultations. <laughs> and, um, but it's, you know, it's a more inclusive way to get your project to the end successfully. Is there a need for that today? Oh, huge. Yes. Really? Yeah. Well, because all projects involve people. That's true. Yeah. Even if we're, because we're moving into a more AI uh, world where more automated, uh, more computer based. Uh, so less people are doing projects and we're more relying on computers to do them for us. We're not there yet. Okay. We still need people. I guess so. Yes. Yeah. And while I can appreciate what you're saying to get from here to there, we still have to manage that change as well. I mean, it's change management. <laughs> Managing change. That big circle right there. <laughs> um, we are coming up on our hour. Okay. I, I usually ask this. I asked a bit of it beforehand, but I'll ask it again. Looking back on your life now, mm-hmm. all of Karen's life, are you happy the way it's turned out? Yeah. Yeah. I've had a really cool life. <laughs> the only other contest I ever entered was the Miss Grand Prairie contest, and I came second runner-up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, look at you now. So to the second runner-up of the 2020 Grand Prairie, Miss Grand Prairie, you will be an MLA. Exactly. Start planning your political career. There you go. Karen, thank you very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. I did too. And once again, thank you to our guests for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week.